The scripture this morning comes from Psalm 11, uh, verses 1 through 7. In the Lord I take refuge. How can you say to my soul, flee like a bird to your mountain? For behold, the wicked will bend the bow. They have fitted their arrow to the string to shoot in the dark at the upright in heart. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes see, his eyelids test the children of man. The Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. Let him rain coals on the wicked, fire and sulfur, and a scorching wind shall be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds, and the upright shall behold his face. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you. We acknowledge your presence. Just settle before you. Just take a moment and just just a quiet before your, your presence, Lord. I've been running a million miles an hour this morning and yesterday and the day before, so I breathe. And uh, Holy Spirit, we recognize that you live in your people. And so just be your good old self through us. I come this morning to try to preach the word of God, Lord. And uh, so I just lay down, I lay down that trying and just pick up the trusting now. Trust you to speak in and through me. Open the hearts of your people. Encourage, edify by your spirits. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I got to warn you, I can't, I can't see you because of the lights, but so I have to hear you. You'll have to like, amen, praise the Lord, or something like that. And just by way of warning, the, 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 the quieter you are, the longer I normally preach. <laughs> Except when somebody's being front up on the uh, funny on the front, then I preach a lot even longer. <laughs> That's good. I want to tell you a little story here. The preacher is at the front door of the church, and he's shaking hands with the congregation as everybody leaves. And little seven-year-old Billy comes down the aisle next, and the pa pastor says, "Good morning, Billy." Uh, reaching out his hand to shake Billy's hand, he noticed something pressed firmly into his hand, and he looked down, and it was a dollar bill. He said, what's this? The preacher asked, and, and, and Billy said, it's money. And he said, well, why are you giving it to me? He says, for you. He said, but why? I don't want to take your money, son. Why are you giving this money? I want you to have it, pastor. He said, but Why? He said, well, my daddy says you're the poorest preacher we ever had, and I just want to help you. <laughs> well, I pray that's not the case after I finish with you that you're telling Ryan, this is the poorest preacher we ever had. <laughs> hey, I do want to talk to you about uh, a serious subject uh, in terms of, of uh, challenges and trouble. You know, one of the things that happens, with, especially men, when we get about 30, 35 40 and a little bit older, you, started, you start measuring what you've done in life, and a lot of men give up about this time. And so I want to talk to you today, to men in particular, I want to talk to you from the subject of uh, a topic of how to live in an age of earthquakes. 
Now, this hits everybody, right? Each person has problems, and uh, we want to be able to handle those problems God's way. Amen? And so we're living in a day that we see personal earthquakes and we see uh, cultural earthquakes all around us. I mean, 9-11 changed our lives forever, right? I mean, how many of you are talking about 9-11 when you're going through the airport? Um, shook everybody's life. Seven years later, the Twin Towers of Banking and Finance uh, fell. Another cultural earthquake and impacted our lives forever. We're seeing now homegrown terrorists. We're seeing now terrorists from abroad. We're seeing people mowing people down with cars for no reason at all. I mean, it just seems like a lot of people are looking for reasons to hurt other people. Many of us have had our own personal earthquakes, one or two of them. It could be a marriage earthquake. Man, I just went through the, uh, just came out of about six years of what seemed like pure hell. Uh, it could be a divorce earthquake. It could be a health earthquake. My wife had a brain tumor and, uh, on the left side, and it was a massive tumor about the size of a, uh, of a large plum they had to remove. It was an earthquake for us. Uh, it could be a job earthquake. It could be the death of a loved one earthquake during that time. I lost my mother, and my wife lost her mother. I mean, it was like a horrible time. Uh, and then it could be a wayward child earthquake. And then I'm thinking about death. Uh, I mean, how many of you heard the news about uh, maybe three weeks ago of two uh, young boys in Gwinnett County that lost their lives uh, with uh, a drug overdose? What that, that one of those boys, well, both of them were my neighbors. And I knew one of the mothers uh, very well. She, she was at the gym during the time uh, that the call came in from her husband that uh, he couldn't wake the boy up. That's an earthquake. How are they to go on? How are they to make it during, di during difficult times? So here's my point today. I normally tell you what I'm going to tell you, tell you, then tell you what I told you. So that's kind of my preaching style. To live an abundant life in the midst of, a, of an earthquake, we need to be settled on two areas. We need to be settled on two areas, and this is all I'm going to talk about all day today. Our relationship with God and our responsibility before God. Our relationship with God and our responsibility before God. You know, when I went through that really, really tough time, it was my relationship in Christ, with Christ that kept me. And, and it was my representation before God that kept me focused on what I was supposed to do. Now, I put a little matrix up here on the screen. I don't know if you can see this here. here and, um, and hearing that you guys have missional communities and discipleship groups, you know, I go all around the country in different countries, and I'm, and I'm noticing that people are struggling with some areas here. And I want you to locate your church and your family. I hope, hopefully, you're in the upper, upper right quadrant when we get there. But we're finding that if people don't know who they really are, low on identity and low on righteousness, and are not living on mission with Christ, representing him, we find that culture in the church and the culture in the family is a boring culture, and it's apathetic, and eventually it leads to death. That's when you hear churches closing, right? And families giving up. We also found, though, but if you have a culture where people are not really taught who they are, that, but about the righteousness of God in Christ, their identity, and but they're always pressed on toward mission, pressed on toward representing, 
You know you're, you know, you, you tell your kids, you know, you know you're a Johnson or a Screen or a Brown, you represent, but they don't really know their identity. Then we found out that that's a stressful discouragement culture. Next, we find out if you have a culture where you're always talking about identity and always talking about your identity, uh, righteousness and, and, and that sort of thing, but you do not live on mission with Christ. You're going to have what you call a cozy consumer chaplaincy culture. Now, I want to tell you, most churches and most families that I know live in that quadrant. And lastly, if you have a culture that is high on identity and your righteousness, who you are in Christ, and, and high on living a mission and representation, you're going to have breakthrough all over the place. Does that make sense to you? So I hear that you are in that white right quadrant up there, so uh, praise the Lord for that. Now let me, I just want to put that out there for, for, for Ryan and his church planting efforts there to encourage you guys to live in that right quadrant. Live out of who you are in Christ, and we'll talk about that more, and live, out of, uh, live on mission with him. Don't, don't get into that other cozy, consumeristic culture. Amen? Now, the Lord is calling us to live a balanced life of relationship and responsibility. And in, if, if, if we can do this, we will be prepared to meet the needs of the hour. Because I'm telling you, the, the, the pace of life is speeding up and the earthquakes are coming quicker and quicker and quicker. And when people need help, they ought to be able to look to the church of the living God for some answers. Amen. And so, but it's going to be when we live a balanced life. Our text today, we're going to be looking at a man who knew who he was and he knew how to represent. His name is David. The background of the text is that his world is crumbling. As you look at it from the outside, it doesn't look like things are going well for him. David is being dogged every step by King Saul and probably about 3,000 of King Saul's men. He wanted David dead. I mean, the cultural uh, earthquake was happening all over the place. And so David gets, somebody comes and gives David advice. In verse 11, uh, verse 1 of chapter 11, he says, the, the person giving him advice says, flee like a bird, where? To your mountain. Flee like a bird to your mountain. And I don't think you have this up there, but Psalm 2 says, for behold, the wicked bend their bow, they have fitted their arrow to the stream to shoot in the darkness at the upright at heart. They were saying to David, the foundations are being torn down here, man. The, I mean, things are going crazy. You need to save yourself. You need to take care of yourself. You know what the mountain is like. Flee to the mountain, David. Take matters into your own hands. Just take about you. Think, think about you. Take care of yourself for a moment. And listen to David's response. And I love this response. He says in verse 1, in the Lord I take what? refuge in the Lord, in the face of circumstantial denial, in the face that looked like God wasn't with him. He says, in the Lord, I take refuge. How can you say to my soul, flee like a bird to the mountains? And he goes down in verse three. He says, if the foundations are being destroyed, what can the what? Righteous do. He acknowledged that the foundations are being destroyed, but he says, what 
can the righteous do? So he mentions the two points I want to talk to you about today. Righteousness and doing, which is being and, and, and doing, which has to do with representation. Are you still with me? Now, what does it mean to be in a right relationship with God? Now, again, I've been traveling all over, and, you know, uh, there's a guy named Armin Geshwin. He's dead now, but he used to say the main things are the plain things, and the plain things are the main things. I am so surprised on how many Christians that do not understand the plain and the main things, like what does it mean to be righteous with God? And so I want to talk to you a little bit about that before we go on. So what does it mean to be righteous with God? So let's go and establish a point first, what it means to be unrighteous with God, all right? So the Bible told, the Bible says in Genesis that God told Adam and Eve that the day you eat of this, you will surely die. Now, death has three, uh, three aspects, a physical death, a spiritual death, and an eternal death, death to a future, future joy. Ezekiel says in Ezekiel 18, 20, the soul that sins shall die. So every person born into this world is spiritually dead, is. And now, we, uh, you guys are Presbyterian, right? <clears throat> I just have to make sure. You know, things change so fast now. <laughs> now, the next question is, uh, you guys still believe in total depravity, right? Right. So we call it totally depraved. Every person born, you say, oh, how cute the little baby is. That's right. That's right. Let the baby keep growing up. You'll see. Total depravity, right? So, so man is born separate from God. Death doesn't mean annihilation. It means separation. Man is born separate from God, separated from God, and man is not right with God. He is not righteous. And so for a man to be able to be made right with God, and we're going back into further in the Old Testament here, God provided a way by which that can happen. And it was the sacrificial system. How many know what that means? And so what would happen is that an innocent animal would die for the guilty man. So, so, so say this with me. The innocent died for the guilty. The innocent died for the guilty. You see that all through the Old Testament. So we get to Abel. Abel understood this message. He knew to approach God and to deal with God the innocent, which you signify with what in his hand, the lamb, the innocent, had to die for the, the guilty. Who was the guilty in that part? He was. Now, my man Cain said, no, don't believe that message. I think I'll just bring what I want to bring. And so he didn't, nothing died for him, right? And so he couldn't approach God. He was rejected by God. So the innocent dies for the and so you see this played out hundreds of thousands of times throughout the Old Testament. The innocent dies for the guilty. You see it even more. You see this picture. This is from John's Cross a booklet here. And he, you see the guy, he has to lay his hand on the lamb's head. And there, there was going to be the imputation or the transference by God of his sins onto the what? To the lamb. And so what was that? The... Innocent, dying for the, the, all right, I'm getting shorter as we go. And so, now, and so that wasn't all. What had to happen is he had to what? He had to, that guy had to cut the throat 
of that animal, and that animal had to die. The soul that sinned shall die. So he died in the place of the man. Does that make sense? We're talking about unrighteous man for a season becoming right before God by the sacrificial system in the Old Testament. You still with me out there? Yes. Okay. Now, when we get to the New Testament, John the Baptist notices Jesus. And look at the first thing. Well, look at what this first thing, first thing he said was. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Don't minimize taking away, for that's a big thing, and it represented a shift in the economy of God, all right? So Jesus is the innocent Lamb of God, and he was going to die for the sins of the world. Are we straight with that? And so look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. For he made him who knew no sin, who was that talking about? Jesus to be sin, right, for us. Why? That we might become the righteousness of God in him. Help me, Holy Spirit. And so when I'm talking about the gospel, the good news, and so the innocent Jesus dies for the guilty us. Why? Not so we can say stale and static, that we may become the righteousness of God in him. Now, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Amen? He takes away the sins of the world. Now, he just doesn't cover the sins of the world. He what? Takes away the sins of the world. So Jesus is God's final lamb. There are no more lambs. There are no more altars. I know we call this an altar up here, but there really, there aren't any more altars. Amen? It is finished. He fixed it. Now, most Christians I come in contact with live from an Old Testament concept of righteousness. We live from a concept that God covers my sins. He really can't stand me because if the blood can un be unwashed away from me, he will crush me like a bug right? That's an Old Testament concept. It's short of the New Testament concept that says, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Takes them away. Now, the prophet Ezekiel wrote to Israel concerning what was going to happen when they accepted Christ at the final regathering of Israel. Now, now I want you now, this is when it comes to us, all right, you can, for us who have accepted Christ, you can take the I wills and strike them and say, I have. See, that was going to happen to Israel, but that has happened to us. That makes sense. I'm talking about the gospel here, the good news, right? Righteousness, right standing before God. Because if you don't know you're right with God, you will run from God. You won't have confidence in God. So, so he says, I will sprinkle you clean. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean 
from all your uncleanlinesses and from all your idols, I will clean you. So in your case, it will be I. Come on. In your case, it will be. That's right. He has cleansed you. All right. Now, listen, I will give you a new heart. In your case, it's. You do right now. You have it. A new heart and a new. You have a new spirit right now. Did you know that? And I, he said, I will and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone that's not able to feel and sense from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh that's able to feel and sense. And I will put my within you and you say, I, he, he has. Is that right? Is that New Testament or what? Uh-huh. And calls you to walk in my statute and statutes and be careful to obey my rules. This is the Lord's doing and it's marvelous. So he not only takes away your sins, but he gives you a new heart, a new spirit, places his spirit within you and causes you to walk in his ways. Amen. This is the Lord doing this. You can clap on that one. I, I, I can tell Ryan we've got to clap around here. Amen. And so this is the Christian reality. David understood he was righteous and he lived from this basic understanding. And if David can do this with an imputed righteousness that would cover his sins, what could we do from an imputed and imparted, now not, not apart from Christ, the impartation is that he himself lives in us. So there's an imputed righteousness, but there is an imparted righteousness that comes from Christ himself. And so we're going to need to know this because when the storms of life come, the rock that you will build on will be not be an it, it will be him himself. Christ, does that make sense? Amen. Now, look at what Galatians says <clears throat> quickly. No, 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 I'm sorry. 1 Corinthians 1.30. And because of him, you are in Christ. Amen. Who, who became, who became, past tense, right? To us, wisdom from God. What else? Righteousness. So because of Christ, because of him, we, like, we're righteous before God. Not our behavior. We don't, we, you know, behavior is important, but it's because of him. See, I behave because, not to. Amen? Now, Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who lives, who live, but what? Christ who lives. Christ lives. Where's the location? Amen. That Christ lives in me. Christ lives in me. When? Right here, right now. And he is the righteousness of God. In Christ, righteousness of God. Amen. And the life which I now live in the flesh... 
I live by faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness, a right standing with God came through the law of my performance according to keeping all the rules, then Christ died for no purpose. So David was able to withstand life's earthquakes because he understood he was in right standing with God, even in the midst of circumstantial denial. Now, very quickly here, when something goes wrong in your life, what do you normally start saying? Is God mad at me? Did I do something wrong? Yada, 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 yada. You need to settle that before the storm comes. And if and you and I can withstand earthquakes because we have been made right with God on the basis of Jesus Christ and Christ alone. So because of Christ, watch this, and the most Christians kind of kind of shudder when I say this. Because of, because of Jesus, you are as righteous as God. Why? Because Jesus is God, and he lives within you. That's the gospel, my brothers and sisters. So David, David understood his righteousness. He said, when the foundations are torn down, what can the righteous do? We can do something. Amen. Why? Because, listen, if you now, how many of you heard of Usain Bolt, the runner? You put him inside of me, I'm going to the racetrack. Amen. Now, I don't like Tom Brady, so I have to use another illustration. Peyton Manning. You put Peyton Manning in me, there's not a throw I couldn't make before he got all the spine stuff going on. You understand what I'm saying? You put Einstein in me, there's not a problem I could not solve. You put Maya Angelou in me, there's not a poem I could not recite. Amen? And so you put Jesus inside of me, there's not a problem that I cannot handle. My brothers and sisters, this is called the gospel. Amen. This is called the gospel. The innocent has died for the guilty and come to live inside of us. Now he says, represent. He says, you are my proxy. David says, what can the righteous do? All right. What can the righteous do? He he did not focus on the earthquake. So it's easy to forget who you are when your world starts to crumble. But David did not focus on that. He focused on the Lord. He focused on the Lord where he saw, where the Lord sits. Look at verse 4. The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord is on his throne. He understood heaven dictated earth. Earth did not dictate heaven. Amen. And there are examples over there. Just go and read your Old Testament. Just example after example after example where David should have been gone and done for, but God spared him every time. It didn't matter whether Saul was the most powerful man in the area. God was on David's side. So he understood where God sits. He understood what the Lord sees. He says his eyelids test the sons of children of men. And then David was focused on what the Lord sends. He said the Lord tests the righteous. Yes, we do get attests here and there, but his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. Let him rain coals on the wicked, fire and sulfur, and a scorching wind shall be the portion of their cup. 
For the Lord is what? Righteous. He loves righteous deeds. And uh, he said, the upright shall behold his face. I think it was Isaiah said, uh, when he says, uh, behold, tell the righteous it is shall be well with him. That's our basic stance. Amen? Now, <clears throat> as one more point I want to hit here uh, in terms of, of representation, but, but I, I just want to hit it quickly. It's still in the second point. That our success is going to come on how we stand in the battle, right? Uh, so like when back in the day in AD 40, there were 1,000 believers in the Roman Empire, 1,000. And by the year of AD 350, there were 30, almost 34 million. So 310 years, how do you, how do you go from less than a half percent of the empire to going to almost 60% of the empire. What happened? What happened was they were under mass persecution, and what happened was an earthquake happened in the term of a plague, and what happened was that Christians knew they were righteous. They stood. They didn't run from the battle. They ran to the battle. They didn't flee to the mountain like the Romans did. They ran to the battle, and it caused everybody to pause and want to know, who is this God you're serving that causes you to live like you live? And so as things continue to be crumble, then this is how we must present and represent ourselves as righteous people of God who are on mission with Christ. Now, my last point, and the church said, amen, yeah, that's good. That's good. <clears throat> Lastly, I think David and other biblical, char biblical characters understood that even though one can be righteous, life's journeys has ups and downs. How many can testify to that? About 10 people in here telling the truth. <laughs> Let me break it down like this. <clears throat> you know this intuitively. Now, how many of you like movies? Okay, all of the younger folk. How many of you like movies? What kind of movies do you like? Okay, that's more, that's more. Uh, let me try it again. How many of you like movies? Okay, I mean, the truth meter is going up high and high each time. So what, what kind of movies do you like? Action movies. Like, give me a couple of them. Pirates. Okay, I, that's, I'm feeling it. That's good. What, what else? Superheroes like Superman. Star Wars. Okay, so that's a good one, too. I like Superman, Batman, Spider-Man, even though he's kind of, you know, he's Okay. I like the real superheroes, right? I mean, that, but, but we'll take Spider-Man. Uh, who else? Give me a few more. Comedy? Like, you just missed me. You just missed me. But I, I hear you. 300. Wonder Woman. I, you, I haven't seen that yet. Here, it's good. Now, <clears throat> all of these movies are built on a structure a structure um, on Joseph Car uh, Campbell's Hero's Journey. You ever heard of Joseph Campbell and the Hero's Journey? Okay, he has 12 steps in the structure, right? So that's too many, so I just broke down, broke down to three. And every movie that follows that structure, you can sum it up in these three things. And I think it's like that because God's story
has these three things. And Campbell just copied them when he said it miss. Number one, there's a call. A call. Number two, there's a challenge. And number three, there's a completion. Your life represents that too. Somewhere you're either in a call, living out the call, wanted or unwanted. You're living right now in, in a challenge point in the valley of the shadow of death. Or you're on the top side and you come out of it and you can give gifts to men. When I was going through and when I would read a book, I would look at the back of the book. I wanted to know not that the person was in the call stage trying to tell everybody what was right and wrong. I wanted somebody who had gone down in the valley and had come up on the other side because they had something to tell me from their experience. Now, how many, I didn't hear my favorite movie of all time, well, I won't say favorite, but top five, The Gladiator. I said this is a manly thing today, right? The Gladiator. And what was the, what was the uh, general's name? Maximus. Maximus Decimus something. Oh, beautiful name, right? If I had a kid, I might name him that. I mean, right, if I, uh, boy, I got four daughters, so that, that, that dog won't hunt. So, but, <laughs> so Maximus had an ordinary life, right? He was a general. He was a great general. And I wanted, the only thing he wanted to do was what? Go home, retire, go home to his boy, and go home to his wife and farm. But the emperor, Emperor Aurelius, saw um, Marcus, Marcus Aurelius, was it? that's right, Aurelius wanted him to be the heir apparent, right, to the throne. Because he said, you have the character necessary to give Rome back to the people, okay? And he didn't want this. And so some of our calls are wanted, and some of them are unwanted. A lot of times, the, the call finds you. Amen. Now work with me. I'm almost through with you. I'm on the closing side. So he goes in and when you answer the call, you're always going to have an antagonist and an enemy. Always. Even Jesus had an antagonist and an enemy. Judases are necessary in our lives. Don't miss this. This is the sweetest part. Because I'm going to tell you right now, the challenge part is going to be, if you hadn't been there, you'll get there. It'll be the roughest thing you ever had in your life. You will go bananas if you don't understand that you are righteous in Christ and that you are in process and this won't last always. I'm, are you hearing me? My friend that lost her son is right there in the midst of the challenge stage. Now, who was, who was Maximus' enemy? Commodus. Commodus was his enemy. And so, and so, so Commodus was his enemy, and Commodus came in and wrecked his life. Commodus killed his dead father. Commodus killed uh, his own father. He killed and he killed Maximus's family and tried to kill him and sent him into slavery. Right? Right? And so who did, who was the mentor, who was the mentor that he met? 
Proximo. Right? Now listen, come back with me. If you are going to get through the valley, through the challenge, you need to have mentors or disciplers. You can't do this by yourself. Sunday morning will not cut it. You should be in a discipling relationship. So he had Proximo, and Proximo was a, was a former gladiator, and he told him what? I can tell you how to get back to Rome and to get before the emperor. Now, this was important because he couldn't live out his call unless he had a mentor. And he said, the way you do it is you have to win the crowd. And so he does <clears throat> here. He embraces it. Remember, identity is forged and formed in the valley. Resolve is tested and tried in the valley. It's in the valley. Do you find out who you really are? On the call side, it's who you think you are. You don't know who you are until you get hit smack, as they would say down in southwest Georgia, smack dab in the mouth. Mm, okay. I got to finish this up. Am I making sense to you? Nobody escapes this. If you haven't been through there, you will. And if you are in this, you keep walking, you'll get through it. And if you live long enough, you'll go through it again. And again. Until we are promoted from this earth. But it's, how, it's very important that you know you are righteous and that you represent. When I, was, when I went through, I'm telling you, I felt like everything had been stripped away, right? I mean, I cannot tell you how painful it was. My friends turned their back. My, everybody was looking at me. My, my, my wife had this tumor going on. It changed behavior. It changed everything. And everybody's looking like, what's wrong with Reggie? And, and I was like, Lord, I want to quit. I want to quit. And he was like, nope. He put mentors in my life. And he said, you continue to walk and you continue to represent me and I'll lead you through this thing. And he did. Now, so he gets before the crowd. Let's run the uh, clip really quickly. Guys, guys. Your fame is well-deserved, Spaniard. I don't think there's ever been a gladiator to match you. As for this young man, he insists you are Hector reborn. What was it, Hercules? Why doesn't the hero reveal himself and tell us all your real name? You do have a name. My name is Gladiator. How dare you show your back to me? Slave! You will remove your helmet and tell me your name. My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius. Commander of the armies of the North, general of the Felix Legions. Loyal servant to the true emperor, Marcus Aurelius. Father to a murdered son, husband to a murdered wife. And I will have my vengeance in this life or the next. Am! 
Now, he's representing as a gladiator, but he really wasn't a gladiator at all. At first, he was a what? A general. But God made him, uh, well, he was made into a gladiator. You know, and that's how it works for us. We think we're one thing, but then the Lord takes us to, so, through something and we become something else. Uh, we have a skill or, or something to take us where we need to go in life to, uh, fit, to, to complete the call. So here's my question to you. Where are you in life right now? Some of you may be here today and you're almost about to tap out. You think, you know, you know if we're gonna, don't do that. Keep going. Some of you have crafted a view of life of what you want and what you think it ought to be, and that view will be tested severely because our lives belong to the Lord. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to just, for a moment, for like one minute, which is just pause in, in quietness and, 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 and answer this question. What's one thing that the Lord is saying to me today from today's message? Just one thing. I want you to note that. Give me one minute. The next thing is, I want you, while you're in, in this quietness, I want you to note, what am I going to do about it? I want you to think about what is one thing I'm going to do about what the Lord said to me today. And I shall pray. Father, thank you for this time today. And uh, thank you that we are the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. And thank you that we're called to represent you no matter the circumstantial denial. And the circumstances do not detect, dictate our relationship with you and who we are. I think this is why you told us, Lord, in uh, the Great Commission, all authority has been given unto me. You didn't want us to question your authority when we began to, to go through tough times. You still wanted us to represent you. Go and make disciples of all people groups. And so this is what we're about. And Lord, I pray that as we go through the call and the challenge and the completion of life, that we will keep walking and we will turn around and give gifts to men and help them through the things that we've experienced. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.